welcome to the Wilder Outdoors podcast, where you'll get the inspiration and information you need to have great outdoor adventures with your family. I'm Rob, your host. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. On today's episode, I talk to my friend, Bryn Hometh. Now, Bryn is an outdoorsman who loves hunting, fishing, foraging, and especially loves wild foods. But what makes Bryn especially well-suited for this podcast is that he is a family man. He's got a young and growing family, and he is doing everything he can to get his kids connected with the outdoors. So today we talk about a lot of things, including his journey into outdoorsmanship, uh, his love of wild foods, and how he's helping both his own children and his students connect with the outdoors. It's a great episode. You won't want to miss it. But before we start, do me a favor and please subscribe to this podcast. And if at the end you liked it, please give it a good review. And finally, if you're looking for a great resource to inspire your whole family to get into the outdoors, check out our free resource, Essential Reading for Adventurous Families. And you can get that at www.wilderoutdooracademy.com forward slash reading list. No spaces. Again, that's wilderoutdooracademy.com forward slash reading list. With that, let's start today's episode. All right, so we are here today with my good friend Bryn Hometh, and uh, Bryn is a fantastic educator, uh, but also a very avid outdoorsman and passionate about sharing his skills and his experiences with others. So uh, Bryn, thanks for joining me today. Sort of as an introduction, would you mind just telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks, Rob. It's it's great to be with you. Sure. So I, uh, I grew up in Fargo, North Dakota, and uh, now I live in, in the Minneapolis, the greater Minneapolis area. But um, I grew up in Fargo, North Dakota, and, uh, you know, didn't spend a great deal of time in the outdoors in my youth, um, except, you know, on the occasional one or two camping trips that one might take. Um, you know, I went fishing with my father in a paddle boat once upon a time and remember that fondly for how much we caught and uh you know just did scattered things um scattered things without much continuity or consistency and not frequently um learning what it was that I was up to or what we were doing so that's you know that's sort of my my childhood background with the outdoors and if i fast forward a little bit later in my life um you know, I studied English, studied uh, to be a teacher, and met my wife, you know, soon after I'd completed graduate school, and her family was a hunting family, wouldn't you know it? And so, you know, I always had some interest in the sporting aspect of of what, you know, what it took to be a good hunter, a good marksman, um, but primarily what drew me in was my background uh, just from jobs I'd had in my youth. And one of those was a butcher at a, gro- at a grocery store. And so once I met my wife, learned about her family's hunting background and actually started to go along, um, I was able to start to make some of those connections with things I'd been passionate about, you know, those being food, you know, helping people learn how to cook it well, um, enjoy it and then my own adventures in the outdoors to try to summarize. So 
Yeah. I love it. So the listeners may not know this, but I know that you are not only an avid outdoorsman, but you have a deep passion for understanding the systems that you are interacting with in terms of where you're getting your food. And I think it's really interesting that your sort of your interest started with food. Uh, but when did you start to get the itch or maybe start to see the need to understand uh, sort of the natural systems, the natural world that you were living in and interacting with at a deeper level? Yeah, I think um, that's a great question. It, it came about, you know, some of it by surprise, some of, you know, some of these things, um, you don't know what it is that you're interested in until it's before you. And so just having gone on a hunting trip, you know, you're trying to figure out what that animal is doing, how it comes to be in the spot that you are, um, how not to, how to steward it well, actually was really important to me ever since a young age, you know, whatever resource it is that I have, I want to make sure to maximize every bit of it. I always had that sort of ingrained in me. And so, you know, putting that all together, um, probably after becoming a dad and just thinking about a, a full freezer in the sense that, you know, of knowing where the next meal is coming from, having a bit of a, you know, a canvas, um, a blank canvas to work with. And also just the practical side of, you know, meat costs are, are being driven upwards, um, all those different things. I, I, th I think it came about when I got married and started having children that I really, the, the, the systems, the, my, my own reliance on them and the things that I could do to shortcut or even eliminate some of my dependencies um, were really important to me. Mm. I mean, it, it has a financial benefit, but also just, uh, you know, for me, I'm not the, I'm not the breadwinner in my family. My wife has a corporate position and I, and I teach. And so I thought a lot too about, you know, as a Christian husband, like what it means to provide for my family. Um, you know, monetarily, sure, but there are other ways to do that. And so um, food really, I mean, that's an answer. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. Um, so what I'm hearing is there's a, you value self-sufficiency and competence a lot. Is that, am I fair to say that? Absolutely. I And I think even the idea of it, um, and, and coming to meet people who approach things with confidence and demystifying, you know, the, these things in our lives that, you know, like food systems that seem so far beyond us. And really when you start to, you know, pick them apart and deconstruct them a little bit, you see uh, regular people just like you or me are doing whatever it is just on a, you know, in those cases, a massive industrialized scale, but, the individual, you know, to feed his or her own family or to do, you know, smaller scale things. I mean, there's attainable goals, um, even though society makes it seem less so, I think. Sure. Well, and what I'm hearing from you is in sort of this 
unveiling, right? It sounds like you were sort of discovering what this is like. I, I've heard other people describe it as late onset hunting, right? Or late, late yeah. life onset hunting. And I'm, <laughs> I'm, I share that with you. Although I'm mm -hmm. for the listeners, I'm way less experienced than Bryn. He's, he's way ahead of me in this. So I'm really glad to be talking to him today about it, but tell me a little bit, uh, take me back to sort of where a beginner might be and tell us about your very first hunting trip. Yeah. So I should say, um, you know, one thing I admire about you, Rob, is that you are going the, the way of public lands and doing this thing truly on your own. And I do have to thank my connections and my private land access that I've, you know, just been fortunate to find for acquiring some of these experiences. But, you know, with that disclaimer um, kind of there, um, the first time I went hunting was, I think it was November 2014. My wife and I had just gotten married in June and um, it was extraordinarily cold. <laughs> that particular fall, it was something like zero degrees with a minus 20 wind chill. And we went up to this property in Brainerd, you know, myself and my wife came along, a couple of her brothers and her, and her father. And uh, I started to learn the basics. You know, you, you wear all these layers. You're going to be sitting as still as you possibly can. You know, you'll be trying only to move your eyes, you know, just scanning the landscape to see if something's moving in on you. And uh, also the, the, the aspect of lineage and, and family that's involved in hunting um, by way of my, fa my father-in-law passed me this gun. It's a 50 caliber muzzle loader, um, like an inline black powder muzzle loader. And he said, this is what you'll be using. And we'd gone through the process of learning how to load it, um, you know, with capsules of powder and with a ramrod and with these, these old recovered processes that just, I don't know, they just touched a deep, deep dwelling part of my spirit. It was like, I really want to do this <laughs> despite the zero <laughs> degrees and the minus 20 wind chill. And uh, so we bundled up. And my wife and I sat in a tree stand together that first year, and we did not see one thing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, some people might say, well, you know, weren't you discouraged by that? And it's funny, on paper, I would think I should be. But there's also something about the pursuit involved, the work that it takes. And I could see even then that first year, if this is something that I can, you know, this may not have even been a conscious thought, but something that I can pursue and one day succeed at by taking a game animal, it'll be that much sweeter. And that's absolutely proven to be true. All right. So for anybody who doesn't know hunting, what Bryn just described is the most I won't say the most primitive, but basically he was hunting with the kind of gun that we would have used in the civil war. <laughs> so that well, is some, a, yeah, modern modifications, but yes. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's quite the introduction. Um, I've, I have not been able to shoot a muzzle loader yet, but hopefully someday I will. Um, so how long was it before you got your first animal? 
it was the third year of going up to that property and, um, and, and trying things out and trying different strategies and, you know, all kinds of different things that the, the third year that we traveled up to Brainerd, um, I remember it really well. I was shooting a 12 gauge shotgun and slugs at that point in time, just trying a different gun. And, uh, on the very last morning, you know, the last day that we had all decided to hunt, um, my party, you know, which was my brother-in-law and my father-in-law, they, they said, if we don't see anything, we'll just walk the property, um, see if we can chase something toward you. And uh, they told me to be ready at a certain time. And when that time came, I kind of stood up on my tree stand platform and, you know, started to breathe a little more intensely and just look around wondering if something was going to happen and uh heard this kind of rustling through the brush along the field edge and outran two nice yearling deer and without much time to think i you know pulled up and shot one and you know the rest is history <laughs> but yeah wow very special day so very very yeah go ahead how many deer have you shot shot? um, since then? Since then, nine deer. I counted them the other day. Wow. So on average now, how many years is it between uh, getting, how many years on average does it take for you to get a deer now that you've learned the ropes? Now that I've learned the ropes and more importantly, you know, found kind landowner landowners and great friends and and the sorts of connections that build this kind of you know world uh every year i'm getting at least one and now i mean i don't want my eyes to get too much bigger than my stomach i guess but i took a deer in wisconsin and in minnesota having you know met and known a landowner over in wisconsin i I bought an out-of-state license for the first time and um, yeah, and that's really shifted my hunting paradigm and focus toward, you know, my wife and I have had conversations in the past year or two. Can we feed our family primarily on venison? Can we forego purchasing the half or quarter cow, you know, and other things like that? And um, with the processing side of things, I I feel optimistic. I mean, the sky's the limit. So. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really important thing to point out. Um, with hunting, it's taken me a lot of time to educate some of my my closer family members. But I think a lot of people have it in their heads that hunting is just a way to go out and kill something, right? But mm. um, it, first and foremost, for, for folks who do it well, it's a way to feed your family, um, mm-hmm. which you do really well, Bryn, uh, which we'll talk about later. Uh, but I think the unintended consequence of learning to provide for yourself is that you learn to fall in love with the outdoors. Um, mm. And I, I, I think you would say that that's true. But what I'm trying to get at or I guess try to set up is, do you think you could tell us a little bit about how some, some of the other things that you do now in the outdoors as a result of that initial entry uh, through deer hunting? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think foremost, you know, after trying some of these things out on my own and my mentor, you know, my wife's dad, um, my father-in-law 
did a good job of this with me is, you know, letting me wade into things without, you know, the things that you don't need all the regulations and rules and book on, you know, how do you feel dress your own animal, things like that. He let me wade into those on my own and build confidence. And I think that confidence was the most important key because then when my, another good buddy of mine, I learned that he was a fly fisherman. He, you know, he said to me, would you like to come along sometime? Yeah, absolutely. Because I I shifted from my childhood notions of I could never do that to I would love to do that. I would love to learn how to do that. Um, you know, fly fishing, um, gardening, just vegetable gardening around my own home. Um, mushroom hunting, you know, uh, foraging practices out in the woods, um, other types of hunting as well. Even, even just exploring land, thinking about land differently as a, as something to be learned, you know, and, and taken into one. So like, you need to understand how a piece of land lives and breathes and operates and the wildlife on it that use it, you know, there's just so many different things now that, that are open and available to me having gotten that first confidence boost from deer hunting. Hmm. That's a powerful story, Bryn. So yeah, I, I may, I may know a little bit more about this than the listeners, but I'm curious what, what is something that you are learning about right now or something that you're learning how to do in the outdoors? With my, like with my family, particularly, but just in general, we can talk about your family yeah. in a bit. Yeah. I mean, you know, vegetable gardening is one that I'm learning how to do right now. Um, you know, angling, fly fishing, you know, like I mentioned, but also just, um, more conventional, if you will, or like out of boat types, methods of fishing. Um, even just like I alluded to before the, the next step to go on to public land and try to, you know, try to from start to finish in terms of the process, you know, without a landowner who already knows and can explain to you his or her land, um, those kinds of things. I'm, I'm looking into all of that all at once in little doses and pieces, um, new species, you know, black bear hunting is on my radar as a point of intrigue because, you know, primarily for all the uses that a bear can can have and bless a family with. I mean, it's rendered fat alone can do so many things. Um, I recently made my own decoy, you know, like a turkey hunting decoy by preserving, you know, salting and drying the fan from a bird I got this spring to take out and have hopefully more in future success hunting with. So you could add journey, uh, what, what would you call it? Uh, very, very humble beginnings taxidermy <laughs> to that list. You know, the, it just seems that like it unfolds more and more every year. And I'm so grateful wow. for that. That is, that is a lot. Um, mm -hmm. I thought I knew, some of the things you were learning, you didn't even mention the stuff that I knew about. 
<laughs> That's wild, Bryn. So, yeah. you know, in at the beginning with deer hunting, right? We talked about that as an entree. Now it's it's spreading into like an outdoor infused lifestyle. Um, you know, you had your father-in-law for the first thing, but where are you going to learn all of these new things? Yeah, it's it it comes about as a result of friends and connections. It it comes about as a result of wanting to share about outdoor experiences and mixed company, you know, like I'm a teacher. And so I meet new families, you know, new students, I meet their parents and it doesn't even occur to me not to do this, I guess. And maybe that's part of my personality, but, but I'm an open book, you know, like I want my students to know what I'm interested in. I want their families by extension to know, and it's that communication. It's those relationships that, starts to cause, oh, hey, I've thought about hunting once, or, you know, I'd really like to try it, or I know someone who, you know, and you can just fill in your your phrase there that gets you off to the races with a new connection. Um, mm -hmm. And it's not, for me, it's not about the connection. It's about the people first, and it's just a, a welcome and joyous byproduct. You know, I met my friend, uh, my friend Jim, and unbeknownst to me, he was a fly fisherman. And it's it's like, oh, that's just that's just gravy. You know, it's just a cherry on top. And uh I'm just motivated to continue to ask people and tell people about hunting. I joke that I'm a hunting evangelist now at my school. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Um, um so, so I I know that for a lot of people, it can be hard to make friends at this stage in life. So both Brynn and I are, are in our 30s. We're professionals and we have uh, growing families, right? And so making friends can be hard. I'll, I'll share a little bit of an embarrassing story to set this up. But when I was really young, probably my, my middle son's age, about four years old, I had a hard time making friends. And my mom said, you know what? You just go up to any kid you think you'd like and say, hi, my name is Robbie Voggy. Will you be my friend? And it, it was, it's just silly. Right. But I say that to say like, we probably need scripts like that as adults too. And so, you know, Bryn, if someone is struggling to make those kinds of connections, right? Let's say they didn't have a, a father-in-law or a father or anyone in their family, who has this background, give us like, maybe not a script, but a, a process that we can go through to find and identify uh, folks who would first and foremost be friends, but also who could help us learn some things that are really meaningful. Yeah, that's, a, that's an excellent question. I mean, I would, I would go to the, the communities, you know, small and large that exist around and just you know, just generally inhabit a, particularly in the questions that you ask people, you know, when you ask them what they're interested in and you share in turn, you know, what I've been looking at or what I've been thinking about lately is, um, might be a lead in, or, you know, have, have you happened to see the latest, you know, film show or even listen to the latest podcast or something like that? Um, because most of the time, even if people haven't, you can then give a brief blurb about something that you learned or something you were interested in. And 
that's their opportunity to, you know, to counter and say, I too, or, you know, whatever it happens to be. Yeah, and those, <clears throat> those communities could be, you know, study groups. Um, I don't know. And that, that is, uh, that is kind of the rub when it comes to breaking into the, you know, the world of hunting particularly, but there are individual things to do as well. I hope I'm, I hope I'm answering it. Oh, no, that's great. Well, and I, I think the, the piece that you alluded to that is kind of the challenge is just getting around people for a lot of us. Now I know for yeah. you, you've connected with a lot of people at work. Um, we both, you know, belong to churches where we're able to connect with folks. Um, mm -hmm. I, I've actually had a ton of success finding outdoorsmen, uh, at jujitsu. I train in jujitsu and the jujitsu gym seems to draw a lot of folks who love the outdoors. So, mm. um, I don't know. Can you think of any other places that folks might go to just make friends? Yeah. I mean, um, places like, you know, I've been bringing my kids to swimming lessons this week and, you know, though, you know, one parent or another might seem more approachable in terms of, you know, these types of things, you, you stand and watch your kids together and you, you know, begin to say this or say that and a conversation unfolds. You know, it might start with just a little quip or a joke or whatever it happens to be, but then it, you know, it leads to unforeseen, rich, rich conversations. I, I, it's just occurred to me in this moment too, but another way to do it is to, you know, it can be subtle. It doesn't need to be over the top. You don't need to go to the grocery store and head to toe camo, but <laughs> I find that even wearing, you know, like clothing that has a nice, you know, like an elk on it or whatever it happens to be, you know, people that are like-minded of the same, of the same ilk, no pun intended, will uh, <laughs> gravitate towards you. And, you know, it could be the grocery store. You just, you just don't know. And you have to be more keen, I think, in a world where, those interactions are starting well, they have in the past couple of years faded a little bit. So, mm -hmm. well, and I think you hit on something really important for folks our age is that a lot of times you really have to use the networks that your kids create for you. Um, which I think segues really nicely into a really great question. That's kind of the focus of this podcast, which is, you know, how are you incorporating your kids into your love of the outdoors? Oh yeah. I, I can't wait to take them hunting. That's for sure. <laughs> but right now they're, you know, they're seven, five, three, and, and just, uh, seven months. And so the things that we do are within a smaller circle, but you know, my wife and I try to be intentional as often as we can just getting them to brush with, you know, even if it's secondarily with the things that I'm doing or she's doing, you know, I was, I was mowing the lawn yesterday and on the, the very, you know, the very edge of my lawn is a willow tree that belongs to the neighbor and it kind of reaches over into our property. And I saw a couple oyster mushrooms growing perfectly, you know, right on the edge of the, of the, of the log. And, I went inside and got my kids, you know, and I had them come out and I had them, 
maybe not handle the knife because not quite comfortable with that yet. But I showed them how, you know, when you cut a mushroom from the tree, you leave a little bit of the stem behind, you know, you, you hope that it grows back. You, you know, you incorporate practices like those. Um, when we, you know, we've made gardening a family endeavor and my kids, you know, we'll see how long this lasts, but they like to come and pull weeds with me right now. That gives them satisfaction. And so we'll be doing that together and we'll see, you know, an amazing looking caterpillar or some sort of beetle that they haven't seen before. And rather than, you know, push that experience away or squash it, you know, I, I bring them over and we marvel at it together. Um, I was reading recently a book by Stephen Ranella, who hosts the Meat Eater podcast, among other things. And it's called Outdoor Kids in an Inside World. And he talks about how disgust is kind of a trained attitude toward things. And I was fascinated by that when I read it. And part of this bringing them around bugs and life and earth and dirt and and knowingly saying, you know, we'll wash it off when we're done rather than trying to keep this clean and detached sort of existence. I mean, that that infuses and we, we try to bring that practice in wherever we can. Um, you know, I'll be making jerky and my son who's five, you know, he's dexterous enough at this point where I'll put a couple of plastic gloves on him and I'll say, you know, do you remember what part of the leg this was cut from and why is it good for jerky? And we'll just do a little bit of, you know, back and forth like that while we lay them out on the, the racks for smoking, you know, and then when, when he takes a bite, there's this participatory aspect for him that he's, he's done something to bring this food to his mouth, um, which is it's at the heart of you know, much of the the uh, satisfaction that encompasses it all. So those are just a few highlights, I suppose. So one thing that you do really well is that you cook for your kids and you cook for your whole family. And you've shared with me some of their passion for, or I should say their growing interest in wild foods. Can you share a little bit about maybe one of the more memorable meals that you've shared as a family? Oh, absolutely. Um, I could go back to my, it's kind of a, maybe not so specific a meal, but it's a, a response that my oldest daughter gave before, I think it was her fourth birthday. I was planning on, you know, cooking for her whatever she wanted we do that at our house you know what is your birthday dinner request and sometimes you know, we might go out to eat but most of the time i like to you know get them thinking about favorites from you know whatever they can recall that mom or dad have made and so i sat down with with adeline and i said you know what would you like and she said deer steak and it didn't take her more than two seconds but <laughs> deer steak is what she picked and so I can recall taking out a backstrap steak from a white-tailed deer, you know, thawing it, pan-searing it. We did some homemade baked beans with it that particular year because she was into those. And uh, I have a <laughs> treasured picture 
of her with a bite on her fork and a plate in front of her, and she's couldn't be happier. And that for me was that's awesome. You know, I tried to think about what other you know young girls might ask for on their fourth birthday and things like boxed mac and cheese, which you know nothing wrong with that came to mind, but the fact that Addie said deer steak is uh is a treasure in my heart. <laughs> That's so cool. So your your kids are young, my kids are young. You know, that always makes getting them out, you know, a, li- a little harder, but you know, we're both working at it, we're both doing it. But what I love, Bryn, is that you also bring your love of the outdoors into your classroom with your older students. Um, can you share maybe a little bit about how you've done that? Yeah, I, um, you know, I will try to tell them stories and they've, you know, this particular group of students that I had last year and actually had for a couple years running for different courses. Um, they grew accustomed to, you know, I'd tell them, you guys are going to have a sub tomorrow. And they'd say, oh, are you going on a hunting trip? And sometimes I'd say yes right away, but sometimes I'd be more elusive, but eventually, yes, that's exactly where I'm going. (laughs) And they would say, just make sure to draw the diagram and tell the story when you come back. That's all they could wait for. And so I have many memories already of with an Expo marker and very limited artistic ability trying to walk them through my experiences. But, um, even this past year, I shot a nice doe um, up in Hinkley, Minnesota. And it was on a Tuesday where I had found a substitute teacher for the day. But I got it first thing in the morning. Everything was taken care of by 9 or 10. And so I drove back uh, to the school with the deer in a cooler in the back of my Subaru and parked in the parking lot and did an impromptu show and tell. <laughs> so... I called out anyone who was interested and wanted to see it. And they, you know, they came out to the parking lot, took a look and asked some questions. And we even got someone to take a photo and that photo made it into the yearbook, which I thought was hilarious. I was, (laughs) I was paging through the yearbook and saw a small photo in the top corner of one of the pages. You know, one of the, one of those at the end that has kind of bonus footage from the year and sure enough, it's me wearing my camo with my class standing around me and a nice doe. So that was that was pretty <laughs> joyous for me. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Just uh, candidly, I've had some of your students tell me when you're not around about how you recall turkeys in oh. uh, during class, which I think is fantastic. <laughs> I'll do a little, that's one thing I got interested in after, I mean, speaking of one of your, your previous questions about what I'm learning, you know, I, I bought the calls like the slate call and the die, you know, the diaphragm calls and the box calls, the things that can make Turkey vocalizations. But then, you know, a video crossed my, um, got my attention of mouth calls, like natural human voice calling. And so I am still fascinated by trying to perfect a barred owl hoot or a turkey yelp. And uh, yeah, I'll break that out every now and then on my students too. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So Bryn, um, this has been fantastic. And before we go, just a, a couple of quick things. Yeah. Um, if, 
If someone is interested in connecting with the outdoors through hunting or fishing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but they, they don't have a ton of experience. What would be your, we don't have to give a number to, but just say, you know, three quick and easy tips uh, for them as they try to get involved in this lifestyle and share it with their families. Mm. So one of the first things I would say is to set expectations wisely. I mean, it's some of the best advice I've ever been given, but to, to go into the endeavor, leaving room for yourself to be pleasantly surprised. You know, no, no matter of study can bring an animal across your path, even if you can create, you know, an environment for success. And so set expectations wisely would be number one. Don't go in thinking that you're going to land a whole bunch of fish or the biggest buck you've ever seen on that first day or even anything for that matter, because that can attune you to the other um, micro sort of uh, pleasures in the experience that aren't just, you know, the process can be enjoyed. So set expectations wisely. Number two is um, others have gone before where you are now. And so as intimidating as it can feel, as as much as whomever you might encounter out there in the woods who's a seasoned hunter or frequenter of those areas might, you know, unfortunately act as though, you know, they have claim to that turf, those those lands that belong to everyone, you know, national or whatever they happen to be, um, state land, there's as much right for you to be there as there is for somebody else. And so there is a little bit of thick skin, you know, or just necessary understanding that I'm going into a space that's shared and other people might, um, you know, might feel that because they've happened to get up at this time and they live near this spot and they've been going there for years, it starts to take on a ownership in their mind. But that really isn't the case. And so if it's public land, it really is public. So maybe even to prepare yourself to deal with, you know, someone, someone who might be abrasive or a little unreasonable would be wise. So that's kind of a lot of things mixed into step two, but set expectations wisely, um, go into the woods knowing it's public and you have every right to be there as someone else. And then number three, I would say is to, uh, to make sure to enjoy what you can about it. If it all feels like work and, and no part of it is life giving and, and there's no return, it can be easy to set it aside right away. And uh, I would wish, even though I've been blessed, like, I, like I've said a couple of times, to have connections in place beforehand, I still had to wait my two to three years to start seeing some game. And uh, you have to enjoy what you can along the way. Or uh, in, the, in the drought seasons, when there isn't, when there aren't animals, it will feel like something that you want to quit and not go back to. So those are my, those are my three tips mm -hmm. off the cuff. I love it. I love it. So last thing, yeah. Bryn, is that in addition to your outdoor activities and your teaching, you're also a poet 
and you've just published a book of poems. Where can people find it? Oh, uh, thanks. Thank you. Yeah, uh, they can find um, my my poetry book, which is called Chasing the Burr, um, Burr with two R's. And uh, they can find that on Amazon or a number of different online retailers. Um, the the public, <clears throat> sorry, the publication press is called Darkly Bright Press. And so if they wanted to go straight to the source, they could um, just go to darklybrightpress.com or they could do a, a Google search for, you know, my name, Chasing the Burr, um, any of the above, and they would they would find it. Amazon might be the most convenient. Yeah, I would love, love and welcome and appreciate any new readers. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, Bryn. It's been an absolute pleasure and I'm excited to uh, hear what people uh, are able to do because of what you shared with them today. So thanks a lot. Pleasure's mine. Thank you, Rob. 